It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. Today we are broadcasting live in front of a studio audience at Missouri Science and Technology. Otherwise known as Missouri S&T. And we are here with our first guest, uh, Tucci. Yeah, Scott Tucci. Scott Tucci. I can't call you Tucci, can I? You can. I can? Yeah. Okay, I'll just call you Scott. All right. Uh, And you are a member of the IFC, the Interfraternity Council here at uh, Missouri Science and Technology. What is your fraternity? Uh, Sigma Phi Epsilon. Sigma Phi Epsilon! Okay, now I heard about your uh, charity, the IFCs, so I'm assuming it involves uh, the, pretty much the entire campus, all the fraternities to benefit St. Jude. What is this uh, charity that you guys do? Uh, the charity is a up till dawn charity uh, where everyone gets together in the Greek community to uh, stay up all night to support uh, cancer awareness. And during this up all night, up till dawn, uh, I'm assuming, you know, being the good college kids that you are, you don't normally stay up all night, right? You bunch of liars. So on this night when you're up all night, uh, what kind of activities are you doing? Uh, well, last year it was paired with Greek Sing, so every uh, fraternity and sorority had a band that played, and then there was three uh, informational speakers that also uh, performed. And is the, uh, the charity St. Jude's, do they have a representative there, and do they sing too? Uh, no, or St. Jude did nothing. They just take the money. Yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so how much money was raised? Uh, does anybody know? Twenty two thousand? $22,000. <laughs> wow. Very, very impressive. Twenty two grand uh, raised with the up all night, up till dawn. Mm-hmm. Yep. With uh, Missouri uh, Science and Technology. More information is there a Facebook page or the website online? Uh, yeah, there's an IFC Facebook page that has more information on it. Do you know what that is? Uh, MSTIFC. MSTIFC. That's what you search on Facebook. Yes. MSTIFC to learn about the 22 grand that Missouri Science and Technology uh, gathered for St. Jude's Hospital, huh? Correct. All right, let's have a round of applause for all of you. The Adam Ritz Show. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. We'd like to thank our affiliate 99.3 ESPN Radio in Southwest Florida. I'm at the studio right now with National Sales Manager John Parla from uh, 99.3 ESPN Radio Fort Myers. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us on. I wish uh, we were here to talk about sales techniques uh, and and happier things uh, in your bottom line, but we're here to talk about a very serious, inspirational, um, and really uh, powerful story of you, your family, your wife, uh, skin cancer, and uh, the initiative you took upon yourself with your wife to start what you call the Passion Foundation. Uh, Tell us about the Passion Foundation. Uh, About three and a half years ago, my wife got diagnosed with stage two melanoma, and when she got diagnosed... um, Instead of moping and, and thinking, you know, oh boy, the world's going to end, we decided to take her negative and turn it into a positive. So we started the Passion Foundation, and we raised money to build shade structures over playgrounds here in southwest Florida. Southwest Florida, maybe 
um, the hottest place with the hottest sun in the summer you could possibly feel anywhere on planet Earth. Uh, the sun, it's a little, it's a little, it's just a little hotter down, a little more intense. And, you know, the kids, uh, it was a story earlier about uh, the playgrounds I heard. Um, the teachers have their sunscreen on and their big hats and they're standing underneath uh, uh, the, the, the patio yeah. awnings and all the kids are out in the sun playing. So your wife noticed that and, and said, let's, ch- let's make a change. Yeah, she did. She, you know, dropping our kids off at school, realized that's what was happening. And the, the teachers can protect themselves, but the kids weren't being protected. So we figured, you know, if, if, if they can't put sunscreen on, let's do something, you know, do, let's do the next step. So we decided to build the shade structures. And, um, you know, they, they block anywhere up to 97% of the UV rays and keep the playgrounds 20 degrees cooler, which is big down here, especially in the summertime. You know, a kid goes to go down a slide and they burn their thighs or they go in the monkey bars and they burn their hands. The, the, the shade structures keep it a lot cooler for them, a lot more comfortable for them to play. Well, our uh, condolences uh, for your wife for passing. Uh, how long ago was that? That was September of 2012, so a little over a year now. And you, did you start the Passion Fountain? Did she start it, and now you're carrying it on? Yeah, we, you know, it was, it was her thing. We decided to start a foundation together, but she was the driving force of what we were going to do, how we were going to do it. Um, and, you know, she, that's, that was her passion. This was what she focused on for, for two years. And, um, you know, before she passed, she said, you know, I want the foundation to keep going. And, and that's what we've done. We've um, just finished our fifth playground we're working on our sixth and seventh we're getting calls like crazy for more schools we're getting calls from out of town which is great so the word is spreading and it's you know right now we're focusing on southwest florida but you know our goal one day is when we're big enough we'll we'll cover play you know playgrounds anywhere so it's, yeah i was gonna say it's a big country with a lot of sun and yeah. uh, the passion foundation that's going to be a national international initiative someday uh, it would that would be awesome that would be you know i like i said that's our goal but we're going to start with smaller goals first and get get southwest florida covered and then we'll, we'll go from there John Parla is our guest, uh, executive director of the Passion Foundation, yeah. and uh, the website is is passion-foundation.org. And how does it work? Uh, cash comes in. Is it just as simple as, as cash comes in, then you write a check to a, a, a shelter company that comes well, in and builds we, it? We work with a great company in Naples here called Shades Abound, and they are our shade company. But um, yeah, we you know we do fundraising events. We donations but 100 percent of the donations and the the fundraising goes to the shade structures it's we don't have an office the office is my house the storage is my garage um so we'd have no overhead you know our only overhead is our marketing materials so 100 percent of it or i'll say 99 percent of what we bring in goes right to the, the shade structures and that's that's big because a lot of charities especially here a lot in the news that's that's not the case so um it's it's you know again our fundraisers we've got a Big ones in December and in May, maybe in Melanoma Month. So we do a golf outing in May. We do a big 5K run in December. And then we're part of probably 10, 15 other events throughout the year that people are nice enough to make us the beneficiary of their events. Oh, that's great. And uh, cash and hard costs and what you can actually touch and feel are the shade structures on the playgrounds. But even bigger than that, it's awareness. Uh, People hear of you, know what your goals are, what your initiatives are, and they're like, holy cow, maybe I should get this little mole on my arm checked out. Yeah, and, and it's um, you know, it's just spreading the word. You know, my, my the mole on my wife's back was a small little mole, and it, you know, ended up taking her life. So people just got to get get checked out, get get you know, get their arms, legs, their whole body, you know, checked out, and make sure that they don't have anything that needs to needs to be removed. Well, I gotta admit, I get checked out uh, twice a year now. Um, I'm 43, grew up in the 70s, where your mom and dad would just throw you out on the, on the beach without any sunscreen at all. And yeah. little spots pop up, and my dermatologist has said, now now that you're this age and you've got these little spots, we need to check you out twice a year. So, 
let's bring on, now that we're talking about spots and getting checked out, uh, Dr. Wasserman. Uh, how is your role with the, pa- the Passion Foundation? How did this, uh, I guess, uh, arise? Well, I, I met uh, John and Tara I think in 2011, I think the summer of 2011, at that point she had been sort of after her surgeries and she was just sort of actually had gone through some chemotherapy and she was just very positive and upbeat and uh, she started a really incredible initiative down here about something that is very important to me, uh, which is melanoma. And uh, I was just so inspired by her story that I just said I just want, I want to help however I can. So whenever John has something that he'd like some, um, a medical professional to sort of um, speak about and get involved with, uh, then I try to uh, help him out with that. And, and the practice also sponsors uh, the, his annual Jingle Jog, as well as some of the other events mm-hmm. uh, that he holds for uh, fundraising uh, throughout the year. So medically, um, for just the normal person sitting in their house right now listening to this broadcast, what do they need to know? What do they need to get checked out? What do they need to look for? Give right. us some free advice right now, doctor. Sure, sure. <laughs> so uh, it's very common that people are worried about a spot on their skin that might be melanoma. They know that melanoma is uh, a deadly cancer. It's about only 4% of skin cancers, but 75% of skin cancer deaths. Um, and it's one of the most common, if not the most common, cancer for uh, adults up to 39 years old. Uh, so with that in mind, it can, finding a new spot on your skin can create uh, some degree of anxiety. So we have kind of the A, B, C, D, E's that we like to tell patients to use as a guide uh, when looking at their moles, knowing that most things that break the rules are fine, but all things that were bad broke a rule. Uh, The letter A stands for asymmetry. So if one half of the mole is different than the other half of the mole, then that's something you would want to look for and maybe see your dermatologist about. B is for border. We don't like irregular borders. We like round borders. So if if your spot looks like a jigsaw puzzle piece, you need to come in to see your dermatologist. The third is color. We like them to be uniform in color. And so uh, you can have a dark mole or a light mole, but as long as it's all dark or all light. But if it starts to have multiple colors in it, uh, be it a darker spot or even a lighter spot, then we want to we wanna probably see that mole in the office. Diameter, uh, that is we like to have moles generally smaller than a pencil eraser. And E, which I think is the most important one, which stands for evolution. And the bottom line is if you have a mole that's changing on your body, it probably belongs in a bottle and not in your skin. That's uh, I, that unbelievable. The ABCs of skin cancer. And, melanoma. And, uh, right. I'm sorry, melanoma. And I'm writing this down. That's those. That's uh, great advice from Dr. Wasserman, the uh, dermatologist, the the house dermatologist for the Passion Foundation uh, here in Southwest Florida, soon to be the United States of America. I, I love I love what you're doing. I love these foundations that start local and then they they spread and they grow. Uh, unfortunately for the radio station here, John, you're going to have to quit your job as national sales manager, and you'll be full-time uh, employed by the by the Passion Foundation. That, that would be awesome. You know, our goal was for Tara to, you know, run this and, and it'd be her full-time job, and it was her full-time job in a volunteer sense where it was just something that it was her passion she wanted to do. But we would love to be able to do it where we're big enough where we need to hire employees and we need to keep it going. We have so many jobs coming in and so many projects that we need to do that we need need a staff. And we'll get that way. But right now it's just volunteers. It's me and my in-laws, uh, my sister-in-law, and a bunch of great volunteers that help with our events. It's events. It's awareness. It's getting the word out. I'm, I'm sure you've got uh, Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that behind it. What are some of those digital properties? Facebook.com. Uh, backslash the F- Passion Foundation. We're working on a Twitter account now, um, 
And, you know, we've got our website, again, passion-foundation.org, where you get all the information on our events, our projects, um, Tara's stories on there. Um, so, again, we're just trying to get the word out there. We've had some great phone calls from people. A lot of um, We've just gotten some PGA calls because they've read articles about myself and about my wife. And, um, you know, golfers are out there. They're number one. They're, they're out there all the time, every day playing. And um, there's a lot of golfers that have had skin cancer or melanoma that now um, some of the PGA people want to partner with us and have us out there events. So it's, it's, slowly, it's slowly getting there. Question for uh, Dr. Wasserman. Let's say you're uh, a guy from the north. Uh, okay, let's say you're me. Let's just mm-hmm. say you're me. And you actually like the summer. You like the color. You like to get a little tan. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you telling me, don't do it, man. Put 50 on all over your body. Or is a little sun okay? Let me answer your question with a question. Do you smoke? I do not. Why not? Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, yes, so, okay. So it goes back to, listen, people smoke, okay? That's fine. Um, and, and that it is what it is. But I think everybody who smokes would agree that there's no healthy number of cigarettes, right? right? It's either zero and other, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, same, the same thing with, with uh, tanning. I'm not saying the sun. I'm saying tanning, right? What a tan is is a precancerous glow. It's, it's literally a color callus, right? When we work out at the gym, our skin on our hands are feeling the abrasion and the stress on the skin from gripping those dumbbells. And so what it does is it says, hey, I need to protect it a little bit better. Let me thicken, right? Yep. Well, that's what a tan is. It's, it's saying I'm being damaged. And so let me try. This is some of our, one of our mechanisms as a human species is to try to protect ourselves. Unfortunately, the SPF of a tan is about a two, okay? And it doesn't really work that well. Um, but I, so I don't, I, I would tell people don't rely on the tan as protection, rely on the tan as a sign, uh, that you need to do a better job. Man. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I want to make you proud of me, uh, Dr. Wasserman. I actually do. Uh, I load up with the sunscreen when I golf now. And that was a big one. You know, when you're in your twenties and thirties and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to spend all day at the beach, I'll put sunscreen on and wear a hat. Uh, you don't necessarily think that way just when you go golf because it's just a quick activity. I'm going to pl- go play golf. Next thing you know, you're in the sun for four hours with your forearms in the glaring sun. So, yes, the older we get, the more proactive we get about making sure we're going to be around longer. Uh, we hope, I guess, after listening to this uh, conversation with Dr. Wasserman and John Parla, that uh, you start doing this at a young age. You do it for your kids when they can't do it for themselves. Create the awareness. Start the conversations. Get involved. Donate the funding. The money goes to a great cause. And we can't thank you enough, Dr. Wasserman, for joining us uh, from the technical medical end of the conversation. Thank you very much. And uh, John Parla, uh, unbelievable, inspirational story uh, of taking a personal uh, I guess, tragedy, uh, health situation, and making it part of your life every day to help other people. Absolutely, and it's just uh, it's our way of keeping Tara's dream alive and, and her name out there, and um, it's something we love to do. So it's not work, it's not a, an effort, it's something that we, you know, myself and her family just want to keep doing and get the word out there, and we appreciate you helping us do that. And that website, one last time, is? Passion-Foundation.org. John, thank you so much. Best of luck with the foundation. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Get to know Adam at AdamRitz.com. Get to know the radio show at AdamRitzShow.com. We'd like to congratulate Dave Christensen, good friend of the show, and uh, head coach of the Wyoming Cowboys in the Mountain West Conference, just named offensive coordinator for the Utah Utes. So congratulations, Coach Christensen. Uh, tons of offensive experience. He was the offensive coordinator at Missouri before 
Wyoming and helped the Missouri Tigers, Mizzou, become the national powerhouse that they are today. So in honor of uh, Coach Dave Christensen taking over the offense at Utah, we're going to feature a conversation we had with him a few months ago about leadership and character when he was the head coach at the University of Wyoming. I'm in Laramie, Wyoming, on the campus of the University of Wyoming with head football coach of the Wyoming Cowboys, Dave Christensen. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm doing great. I, uh, can I just call you Dave? I, I feel Absolutely. like I always have a respect for head coaches. I should call you Coach Christensen, but I'm just going to call you Dave if that's okay. That works for me. We are here to honor you and your football program for something you have called the Champions Club. Can you tell us about the Champions Club with the Wyoming Cowboys football squad? Well, uh, the Champions Club is something that's based around our three core values of uh, our program, which is uh, academic integrity, social responsibility, and competitive excellence. And so it's a point system that kids can uh, earn points in all those areas by doing community service and, and doing the right things uh, uh, off the field and away from campus, uh, by doing well uh, in the player development part of our program and gaining strength so they can have that competitive advantage on, on Saturdays. And then the academic part of it, which is probably the key uh, component to our our uh, pyramid objectives and what we're trying to get done here. And so they can achieve points in all those areas. We rank our players from number one to the, to the last player based upon those points. Uh, we have a system where the top 25 always have their picture uh, displayed in our uh, building. And then uh, there's rewards uh, for finishing in the top 25. And you list those names uh, in public, even down to the last guy? Well, we, we don't list. <laughs> we list the top 25 okay. uh, with their pitchers. But uh, our team certainly knows where everybody ranks, and we post that. And, uh, again, you know, it, it's important to us that they do the right things. Right. We'll have a couple dinners throughout the year. Top uh, 50% will have steak. Bottom 50% will have tube steak. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of motivation to do well. And, and what we hope is, is that, you know, by two or three years into our program, it's not about the extrinsic motivation factors that get, get, get you to want to do well and, 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 and get the points. It's because that's, that's what you want to do in life is be successful and do the right things on and off the field. Well, I'm just – I'm thinking back to when I played college football, and I'm just like dying. If I was the last guy, I would be so motivated to get more points, get involved with my community, go to class, get my grades up. Uh, Coach, how did – who came up with the point system? Is this based on your – let's say your grades for the semester or per test? Uh, you can get points every test. Bring your test in, show it to uh, Coach Harding, who runs our Champions Club, and you're awarded points. Uh, every hour of community service, uh, you're awarded X amount of points. And so we have a number of players uh, that, that do beyond what's required. It's required in our program that every spring every player does a, a minimum of two hours community service. But uh, we've had kids uh, uh, take trip mission trips to Haiti the last two years and uh, – a number of other things that they'll do on their own uh, to give back. Is a mission trip to Haiti worth more points than teaching a kid how to read here locally at an elementary school? Well, it, it, not if you teach them to read enough. You know, <laughs> show up uh, you know, 20 times, it's going to probably equal what it would be to go to Haiti for six days. That is fantastic. The Champions Club. We learn more about it with the, uh, the academics, the social awareness, and the player development. So the player development is their athletics. They're getting stronger. They're getting faster. So let's say you increase your bench press by 20 pounds. How many points is that worth? You know, I'm not sure the exact points. What we look for in our player development program is PRs. And so if you increase by one point, that's a PR. And, and so our point system is, is uh, delivered by getting PRs and all the different tests that we give. And there's a number of things that we test in, very similar to those that the NFL combine so just by making an improvement every time we test uh, you're going to get rewarded for it 
Is there a chance for them to lose points if they get in trouble, if they get a bad grade on a test? Absolutely. Uh, we will deduct points uh, the same way as we give them. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a much better job as a program of giving fewer and fewer negative points uh, than we were, say, when we first started this program. Dave Christensen is our guest, the head coach at the University of Wyoming with the Cowboys, and we love hearing about these programs that um, not only help college student-athletes with their athleticism, but more importantly from our point of view, from the social awareness point of view, is their off-the-field behavior with their character. So let's have some fun now and talk about football. Uh, third down to win the game. What's your favorite play? What's the distance? Let's say it's... Uh, Okay, third and four. You're on, your, you're on their 15-yard line. It's third and four. Time uh, is a factor, and you've got one shot at the end zone to win the game. Well, no, let's say, okay, it's third and four, so you could get a first down and get another play. Let's throw that in there. Well, if there's enough time, we're going to have something that, that presents a, a run-pass option. Uh, you know, generally, if, if it's a pass scheme, we're going to have a built-in zone side and a built-in man side to go to uh, that could be a possible run-pass option based upon what the structure of the defense is. So there's a lot of different variables depending upon time in the game and, and how many you're down by and, and what position we need to be in. Is, is that decision on the play based on maybe the play of the players during the course of the game? If you've had a tight end drop every pass, are you thinking, okay, we're not going to the tight end now? Uh, we, we will not have a guy that drops every pass playing for us. <laughs> so, uh, no, answer. really, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of times, uh, you know, people uh, give way too much credit to uh, to play calling. And, and uh, you know, I called plays at Missouri for eight years, and I'm back into that seat again this year here at Wyoming. And, uh, uh, you know, the, a lot of that stuff, the majority of it is, is predetermined throughout the week. Uh, we'll game plan every situation, and we'll have plays in place that we're going to run in every scenario that could possibly come up. Now, there may be a time where we'll change that, but we've put a lot of thought and time into it throughout the week so that in that split second, we've got that play down there. we just got to find the right scenario on the game plan to call it. All right. Well, before I let you go, what's uh, in your years of coaching, what's been your best moment of coaching on the field? You know, I've been in this for 30 years, and I've had so many uh, – uh, great experiences and memories. You know, my first year here at Wyoming, uh, going to a bowl and, and, and beating Fresno in double overtime was a, a huge, huge game. Uh, Missouri being ranked number one in the country uh, and, and winning the Broyles Award was a, a huge honor and, and, and a lot of fun. And so I've had a lot of great experiences and uh, I look forward to having many more. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. We can't thank you enough. Coach Dave Christensen at the University of Wyoming, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on today. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. Rolling on on the uh, campus of Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, we're with the Director of Basketball Operations for the Boilermakers. This is Elliot Bloom. Hi, Elliot. How are you? Great. How are you? I am uh, doing fantastic. Thank you for your Purdue hospitality, uh, the home of the Boilermakers, and as the Director of Basketball Operations uh, for the Boilers, what do you do? Well, I get asked that question a lot, and I've, I, I've oftentimes thought I should start writing this stuff down because it changes day-to-day. Uh, -to -day. But basically, I'm a coach that doesn't recruit or coach on the floor. So I handle all of our administrative duties. I handle some on-campus recruiting, our travel responsibilities, our day-to-day -day weekly, sched weekly schedules, monthly schedules. I schedule our non-conference games. Um, and I just kind of am the liaison to the administration here at Purdue. If there's 10 seconds left in the game, Purdue's down one. There's a timeout. Can you run in the middle of the huddle and go, wait, 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 let's do this? 
The only thing I would do in that case is say we don't have any timeouts left or we have one timeout left. That's my responsibility in game is to keep track of timeouts and fouls. So other than that, I'm not messing anything up or getting in anybody's way. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, so uh, we bring you on the show to talk about uh, social media within the team and how you use it or, I guess, allow the student-athletes to use it. Uh, We cover a lot of social issues on this broadcast, and we really like hearing how – experts in the field uh, apply these, I guess, rules, team rules to their own players, and I consider you an expert in the field since you are a, a coach for a Division One basketball team. How do you handle social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram with your own players? Well, we try to educate them best we can on the uses of it, the benefits of it, but also some of the detriments of it as well. Um, when we get to the point where we start practice, we do not allow our players to be on Twitter anymore. Um, and we do that for a variety of reasons. There's, as you know, guys tweet things sometimes that seem very uh, innocent, but if taken out of context, they can be a, mean a big thing, especially to our opponents. If a guy tweets something, um, it, it, other teams can doctor it in just about any way they want to make it locker room material, you know, bulletin board material in other locker rooms. And we've done that before too. We'll see a tweet from a, a, an opposing player that we're getting ready to play, and it may be. It may be a simple tweet, just as excited about playing Purdue, and we'll put it up on the board and tell our guys, well, why is he excited about playing? Do they think he's going to beat us? Do they think they're just going to walk in the gym and automatically get a yeah. W? And, and it's, it's funny how you can manipulate that stuff. So to just save our guys from having to deal with any of that, uh, we, don't, we don't allow them to tweet during the season. And it's less of a distraction, too. Um, we go back and look at some of the a number of tweets that our guys have, have tweeted over the last you know five, six years, and it's astounding. And... It, as coaches, it leads us to ask, well, how many hours have you spent tweeting when you could have been in the gym working on your shot yeah. and or working on your ball handling or you know, getting better at basketball? So then you start to question, are you really, do you really have both feet in in terms of basketball? Do you, are you really in this 100% or are you more worried about social media and your Twitter account than you are your jump shot? Let me ask you, when you said uh, you can take a tweet from an opposing player, even if it's innocuous, like can't wait to play Purdue, you can put that up on the board and say, hey, look what player X at Illinois said about playing Purdue. The extreme example of that, if you see or have you seen a player on an opposing team with um, a misdemeanor felonious activity in a tweet, a message about guns or drugs, that you then – maybe take it a step farther and contact the league office and get that kid suspended for the game. Well, there's been some, and at our level too, with the, as thick as the NCAA rulebook is, there's a lot of times when guys will tweet things that are NCAA violations and they don't, they don't know. We had an incident where um, one of our walk-ons brother committed to the football team here and he sent him a congratulatory, hey, you know, great decision on coming to Purdue. And because the kid hadn't actually signed his letter of intent yet, he couldn't direct message him on Twitter like he did, and so it was actually actually a you know secondary violation. Um, you know, it's that's that's been some of the examples. You know, that, that our guys don't even know the rule when it comes to social media and recruits, and that's kind of a gray area that even the NCAA is looking into. You know, and that's something that will always evolve. But there's been instances like that. There's been instances that we use for examples from other schools that maybe uh, somebody tweets um, or, or will put a, a picture on Twitter. And there's alcohol in the background, and then you know there's underage people involved, and all of a sudden now, you know you almost put the pressure back on law enforcement or whoever the administration or adults are in that certain situation. Now they feel like they have to follow up because everybody and their brother knows what's happened because it's hit the Twitter world. So 
Um, as as good as Twitter can be, there's also a lot of a lot of problems and issues that can pop up, and a lot of times our guys may not even know that they're potential issues until you get them educated on it. Elliot Bloom is our guest, director of basketball ops for the Purdue Boilermakers, and I have to ask, Twitter is off out of bounds and off out of bounds. There's a little basketball reference. See how good I am. Uh, off limits for the guys during the season. What about all the other things? Um, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr and the other 75 million things that I probably don't even know about because I'm too old. Well, and you just mentioned a couple that I you know, have no idea about. So that's, that's one of the challenges as, as administration and coaches, you know, keeping up on all that technology, finding out what it is, what, you know, knowing the ins and outs of it, um, and, and could it be used in a way similar to Twitter, could it be detrimental to, you know, what we're trying to accomplish as a team. And we kind of take it case by case and – like, for instance, Facebook, you can be on Facebook, but, you know, we want you to limit your use and we want you to block certain people from being able to be friends with you on Facebook. So, you know, we talk about Facebook, it seems like it's like the old version of email and, you know, email was the old, you know, snail mail and phone calls. So it's just the way the speed at which the technology is developing yeah. is unbelievable. I know Instagram is one of the things that our guys were on last year. We didn't set up any rules for that, but that's something we'll probably be addressing this year is something that will ban them as well as, you know, as Twitter for the coming season. So By the time that ban comes through, there's going to be something else that, yep. that we don't know about, and they're not going to run into your office and say, hey, hey, coach, guess I just right. want to let you know about this new Twitter that we're using. Right, and that's the thing, too, is who monitors that? So now one of us has to get an Instagram account to monitor, you know, the other Instagram accounts. So uh, the, the pace at which it's, which it's changed which it changes is, is amazing to us. And it, in a way, I guess it keeps us young because we're having to get on there and chase these guys down. But, uh, but also, too, you know, we understand the value of it and getting our uh, message out and our brand in Purdue basketball and, and connecting with, you know, recruits, fans, and the people that we are trying to reach. There is a benefit to it, but you just have to be able to do it in a very responsible manner. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.